market. The S&P. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that knows when to hold them, when to fold them, and probably shouldn't be let anywhere near a karaoke microphone. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Fools. Good to be with you. Today, we're going to open up the Foolish Mailbag. We've got a bunch of questions from listeners, and we're going to go through some of the more interesting ones that really piqued our interest. First, we're going to revisit Property Scott, and we did a big, full you know, feature special on this last uh, week. And now we're going back to the well. We're going back to the well. Um, people have basically said, stop sitting on the fence, tell us what you really think. So, <laughs> fair enough, let's do that. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about this massive merger between two of the country's biggest gaming groups, TATS and the Tabcorp merger. An $11.3 billion behemoth will be created out of that if it gets through. What does that mean? Is there an opportunity there perhaps to make a buck or two? And finally, we had someone ask us about, you know, how do you get started in shares? So we're going to go back to full school, if you like, Scott, and we're going to go at the very beginning, what are the first few things you need to do to get going? So I look forward to you telling me what I have to do. I'm good. Well, let's start on property. Now, last week, we tried to give a really balanced view. We did. Um, you, you well, were the, kind of balanced. You were the, the two of us were balanced. We were, you were the bullish one. <laughs> I was the bearish one. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through the pros and cons. We did. But, you know, I guess in, in the interest of trying to be balanced, we, we probably didn't you know, convey what, you know, we really think here. And yep. I think there's, there's a couple of things that we really want to reiterate. And the first one is, Scott, that second incomes have boosted prices. Yeah, so let, what, let, what's, what's, why is that relevant? Let's take half a step back, Andrew, just very quick before we get going. We're basically going to say to listeners today, there are reasons we don't think it's a great idea to be invested in property. And we're going to go through the reasons we don't think that's the best thing for you right now for most of the time. Now, there's individual properties that might be worth investing in. Like there are some good and bad shares, they are probably good and bad properties. Yeah, we can only talk about the average. But we wanted yeah. to basically come right back and say, look, listeners, don't invest in investment properties right now. And these are the six points. And Andrew, your first point is absolutely right. Think about what happened 20, 30, oh, geez, maybe 40 years ago. I'm getting old. Maybe, maybe 35 years ago, we'll call it. The rise of feminism, the rise of women in the workplace has been fantastic for a million different reasons. Mm-hmm. But what it did do is it added a second income to whole households. And that meant that basically families could afford to pay more for houses. And if you think about it, if you were paying the bills, you're paying the car bill, the insurance, the food, the whatever with one income in your household, mm. when the second income gets added, Beautiful. that's extra money. Yep. Now you would think people use it for cruises and holidays and all sorts of fun stuff. The reality was it just simply pushed house prices higher. Mm. That's okay, but you can't add a third or a fourth or a fifth house pri- uh, income to your, to your household. Mm. And as a result, house prices have had a nice little bump because of that second income, but that's a one-off factor. Okay. Well, what can I send the kids down the salt mine? <laughs> you can try it. Try that. But you're right. You can't, you can't repeat that again. Right. The other factor that we need to consider here is that interest rates, you know, obviously super important when it comes to investing Indeed. in property. Um, they are at, you know, record lows, the lowest we've seen post-World War II. Um, I remember, you know, it wasn't that long ago, really, we were talking about, you know, interest rates of 18%. And that's, that's a hell of a long way to fall. Dude, you and I get old. That was actually a long time ago, yeah, but I'll take your point. It <laughs> doesn't feel that long, but yeah. But I mean, it was massive, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and that's great. And that's, that, that's meant that, you know, you can borrow more money because it's cheaper to do so. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's exactly what people have done. But you can't see, I mean, mathematically, you can't, you can't experience that same degree of fall again. Correct. So if you think back about five or six years, basically repayments haven't moved, but house prices have shot through the roof mm. because as you say you can you can the same repayment will pay back a much more expensive house yeah. that's been great to push house prices higher yep. but with rates at one and a half percent they can't go much lower so that's the second tailwind that's disappearing correct 
Another one is that, you know, we can't keep forking out more money. So you've talked a bit about it, household income rising yep. and how more and more of that has been put towards sort of servicing, servicing a loan. Exactly. Um, but you know, that, that has continued, you know, again, on at the household level, that's just reached a point where a huge amount of your disposable income after your food and your other expenses, how much is being dedicated towards the mortgage is really at a point that's probably the highest it's been in a long time. And again, that rubber band can only stretch so far. Correct. So again, there's another another tailwind that's really been pushing fast, pushing hard. But it's something we can't pay 101% of our, our incomes on mortgages. In fact, we can't even pay 80% because we've got to pay for food mm. and clothes and petrol and other stuff we want to do. So there's yep. only so far that number can move up. And it has been moving up. And that's been a nice driver of house price growth. Yep. But it can't keep going, as you say. Yeah. And look, it probably can go a little bit higher. I mean, you don't want to be too absolute with these things. Mm -hmm. But it's just that, again, that rubber band analogy is the one to keep in mind. Yep. yep. Next, rental yields are awful. Now, again, we are talking about investing in property. So it's a property investment. Now, you know, when it comes to investing, you've really got to consider what's the, <laughs> what's the the income return that I'm going to get out of this. That's right. And if you're in most places, you're really looking at a growth. This is important to stress. This is a gross yield mm -hmm. of two, two and a half percent. So that's before the agent fees have come out. This is before the strata has been paid. This is before maintenance, insurance, you know, all of that other kind of stuff. Yep. You're getting that amount. And, and that, that makes it very, very difficult to see value. That's right. So those first three points we talked about were capital gain problems. If you like tailwinds that are going to stop. What's happened though is that house prices have risen much, much faster than rents. That's pushed the rental yield down. Now, if you think about that, if you're going to, if we don't think, and we don't think you're going to get spectacular capital gains from here, you might be saying, well, at least I'm going to get an income return. Well, if yields are two or two and a half percent, as you say, before all those other costs, it's kind of a lose-lose scenario. You're not going to get a lot of capital gains, we don't think. And frankly, at that sort of rental yield, you're not going to go, you're going backwards. You're probably paying four, four and a half percent on your, on your loan. Yep. If you're only getting two or two and a half percent in the door, that's a pretty significant gap. Well, let's lead us to the next point, right? So this is negative gearing. Negative gearing is a strategy that in a lot of ways seems really crazy. You're actively going out there to lose money. So you pay less tax, but it all, it's all okay in the end, because if you get enough of a capital gain, mm -hmm. it makes up for all of that and you come out ahead. To be fair, it's a strategy that has been phenomenally successful right. over the last decade. Anyone who sort of prosecuted this strategy has done very, very well. And but, the answer is that the reason is that leverage has pushed returns much higher, mm. it, it leverage magnifies outcomes. Yep. When things are going up, if you've got a lot of leverage, things go up a whole lot faster. Yep. When they go down, you down a lot faster too. And that's the thing. So unless you, if you are going to embark on a negative gearing strategy, you have to be very, very, very confident of not just, you know, capital gains, but decent, strong capital gains mm -hmm. almost. And, and given the earlier points we've made, we think that is an, a very, very reckless strategy. All right, let's round it out. Okay. Uh, Finally, oh, we've got to mention one last thing here. There is a building boom. So we're not making any more land, say the bulls. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's space that's running out. Um, of course, we're not running out of units. <laughs> we have, <laughs> we are building a ton of the things. Really and so are. this, and this is a, getting a lot of airtime lately. I mean, the, the, there is going to be an oversupply of units within the next couple of years. So that supply demand argument is also that's, that's um, something you've got to bear in mind. Correct. And quite frankly, by the way, there's a whole lot of units coming to come onto the market in Sydney and Melbourne, probably in the next 12 to 18 months. Mm, so mm. we're not suggesting, we're not trying to time this. We're not suggesting there's necessarily a, a horrible future to come. What we do know is there's a whole heap of units which will hit the market over six or 12 months all of a sudden. That really will change the balance significantly in those inner city areas in particular, and particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. And just to finish all this off, let us again reiterate, we're not calling for a crash. We're not going to try and time that or say how much it's going to fall back. It's really just saying that at this point in time, your return potential is very, very, very low. Yes. And so we are saying don't invest in investment properties. We're actually saying 
unless you find a very spectacularly good deal, ignore the accepted wisdom, ignore the common advice, ignore your accountant who says, look how much tax I can save you. Only buy investment assets that give you a great after-tax return. Don't chase the tax deduction because it might still cost you money. Okay. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. So let's talk gaming uh, or gambling. Let's call it what it is. Ridiculous. Let's call it what it no, is. It's, it's gaming. It's gaming, gaming. And resorts. Haven't you heard? Well, it sounds a lot more uh, credible, I suppose, if you say <laughs> gaming. But look, we all like a bit of a punt and uh, Australians more than most. And well, we, up a wall, we've, we've got the giants of Tabcorp and Tats listed companies and they are trying to merge. It's got to yet to be approved, but mm-hmm. they're hoping to do it. And if they do do it, it is going to be an $11 billion plus company uh, with much more firepower. And it makes a degree of sense mm-hmm. here. There's a lot of duplicated costs here. When you join everything together, you don't, you don't need, you know, double the accountants. You don't need double the administrative staff. So mm-hmm. right there, you get what analysts like to call synergies, <laughs> you know, so, so you get, you're going to see a bit of an improvement there. There's, yes. there's other scale benefits that come There's actually a, a great, you know, deal of um, rationality to this deal, but I'm still not that keen on these companies. Uh, how about you? Look, I, I think it's interesting to take a little bit of a step back and think about who Tats and Tabcorp are. Okay. You know, these are businesses that were basically state-based businesses. Mm. Tats has always been a private business, but most of the tabs around the rest of the country were created by governments. They'll run as totalizator agency boards, which is what TAB stands for. Yep. These were government effectively regulated owned betting agencies, betting shops. Mm. And the government's basically said, look, don't use SP bookies. Don't use on-course bookies. We'll make sure there's a functioning regulated market for betting. Yep. We'll take our bid off the top and we'll use that towards government revenues and we'll pay for stuff. But but you know what you're getting. Yeah. And there was one in every state. So yep. there was one in New South Wales, one in Queensland, one That's in Northern right. Territory and so on and so forth. Over time, those businesses kind of were privatized firstly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then kind of merged all together. And so Tabcorp now is a combination of, I think, four or five different state-based TABs right. that basically are now Tabcorp as one business. Yep. And Tats was always a separate business based in Victoria and, uh, and Tasmania. This was a, a company that basically provided those same sorts of lottery services Lotteries, in Victoria. Yep. Yep. These were state-based businesses mm. and there's no reason, particularly in a deregulated market, why they need to be state-based businesses. Mm. So mm. merging them made sense. If you've yep. got one head office, you, you, if you're running a, a lottery game in Victoria and in Queensland and in New South Wales, you need one computer system, one lot of staff. Yeah. It makes a whole lot of sense. And there are genuine cost savings by merging those businesses together. Sure. Of course, now they're in poker machines and a whole lot of other stuff. These yep. are basically gaming, gambling businesses, as you say. Yep. So that's where we got. That's how we got to where we are now. Yep. This is kind of the final leg of that journey. This yep. is about saying, you know what? There is no reason why there shouldn't be or couldn't be a single operator of these things around the country. Yep. And so they're, they're looking to merge. That yep. will save them some money. Absolutely. It will change the game a little bit. It still needs to go past the ACCC and regulators. So it's not necessarily a done deal. Mm. But as you say, if it does, an $11 billion giant is, is the result. And it's also got to be pointed out too that these businesses enjoyed what you might call wonderfully strong moats. You know, Correct. these barriers to entry that gave them, I mean, the, 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 you know, the regulatory hurdle for you and I to open up, you know, a gaming shop and mm. then compete head to head. This is extraordinarily difficult for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and, and, you know, 10 years ago, we could have made a very strong case, you know, highly um, um, profitable businesses, very, very little competition. Well, back you know, in the day, there was zero. These were the only guys allowed to do this. Right, zero. What am I talking about? Zero competition. Exactly, right? exactly. Beautiful. But both the TABs themselves, the lottery business, lottery games, the whole lot, it was literally a government regulated monopoly. Yep. And, but I tell you why I'm not that thrilled by it, tell because me. what has changed since then is it's the D word. And there's a lot of this in a lot of industries at the moment, and that's disruption. So now, 
you know, gaming predominantly in the fastest growing segment segment here is, you know, the, the apps and mm -hmm. stuff when you can bet on anything from Trump versus Clinton to what the stock market's going to do, you right. know, and it, so that disruption has, has been very, very potent. And we've had a lot of very large, profitable, deep pocketed international players come into the market Correct. as well. So all of a sudden this moat is gone and the future is, I think, really uncertain for this industry. I think you and I can both agree that, you know, gaming will be bigger and better, mm -hmm. you know, in 10 years time, but there's going to be a lot more snouts at the trough and predicting the eventual winner is extraordinarily difficult. That's right. If we break these businesses up, there is a, a pokies business, there is a lotteries business, and there is a straight out bookmaking business. Yep. Now the, the lotteries businesses at, thus far are largely monopoly type businesses. Mm. There are only a certain number of, um, Profits being offered, only a certain number of people will license to provide those products. And the governments generally around the country have given these businesses multi-year licenses. That's not going away anytime soon. Mm. The, the poker machine business has really been disrupted significantly in Victoria in particular. Mm. And that that is a business that really is on its last legs as any sort of monopoly. And the bookmaking business, as you said, Andrew, mm. is absolutely gone. It's already gone. It's well yeah. and truly gone. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen the likes Horses of bolted. William mm. Hill from overseas come in. They've bought Centibet. They've bought others. Mm. They're taking the business very, very quickly away. And not only is it taking away the bookmaking business from other bookmakers, mm. but it's making gambling more accessible to other people who would have otherwise bought lottery tickets, yep. who would have otherwise played the pokey. So it's changing dramatically. Online gambling here in Australia, around the world, is taking away from other forms of gaming, gambling, lotteries, mm. chook raffles, whatever you want to call it. Mm. It's changing the nature of how we gamble. And so not only is it a case of, is the bookmaking business being disrupted, but the, the urge to punt, and we all, as Australians, it's our birthright to punt. Um, that, that is, that is you know, it is going away and it is going overseas to those players who are coming from overseas, the mm. local guys who've started up. Um, Betfair, part owned by Crown Resorts and James Packer's business, a whole lot of different ways of gambling. You know, this is massively, as you say, disruption. There's massive disruption in this industry. Yep. Who knows? It's bad enough now. Mm. Think three or five years into the future. Where does it go? The likes of Aristocrat, the poker machine maker, are inventing online games mm. to be played that replicate this sort of poker machine. So, mm. you know, anyone who said... You know, Disruption is funny. You know, you kind of think, okay, well, I get that music's gone online. I get mm. that videos have gone online. So, of mm. course, Blockbuster's stuffed and, you know, Civic Video is stuffed. Mm. And that's fine. You get that. Yep. Other electronic stuff, you say, okay, I get that. When you start to think about disruption, when taxis get disrupted by an online app, mm. when gambling, you know, you, you pull on the one arm bandit, you go into the TAB, mm. that's all gone away because it's all now purely online. Mm. That is a sort of disruption that every investor across every industry needs to be super aware of. Even the stuff you don't... We talked about a bricklaying robot a couple of weeks ago. That's like, right. You know, you think about the things that can be disrupted. There is nothing safe from disruption. Yep. It doesn't mean don't invest in anything. What it means is be very, very careful about what you invest in mm. and be very, very careful about extrapolating the past. Yeah. You mentioned the point, Andrew. These are wonderfully successful long-term businesses. Tattersalls has a fantastic corporate history. Yeah. Um, you know, th these, these are great companies that have had great pasts, but that doesn't mean they're guaranteed of a great future. Yeah, I think we're very wary. And the other thing you have to layer on top of all of that is just the regulatory risk as well. Mm. So, you know, the government might, decide to change the rules at some point and that could have an impact and it's just for us it's kind of the market got very excited about this share prices flew up in the wake of this news but i think i think we've made our case pretty strongly there i think neither of us are, are too excited get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m so the last one scott was we had uh, a viewer email and uh, listener email. A, a listen, that's right. <laughs> Thankfully, not watching our podcast, Andrew, because neither <laughs> you or I are dressed fit for, uh, for for video consumption right now. <laughs> and it was from Joe. And Joe said, Loved uh, one of your podcasts on property, which Thanks, uh, Triple M shared. I'm a property analyst, so I have a strong property background. However, really want to start uh, to learn and understand shares, which I know absolutely nothing about. Question to you is 
where is the best place to start to learn about shares so I can understand and eventually invest in the market? Books, videos, I'm not sure what to do, but need to start from scratch. Appreciate your help. Excellent. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for a great question. It's a really great question. You know what? I, it's, it's the old 12 step problem, right? The first thing you've got to do is admit you've got a problem. I think one of the best things Joe's done is basically, look, I don't, I don't know. And I'm, and I'm asking someone to find out, you know, there are plenty of people who'll say, I get the shares and I'll go and buy some shares. I'm going to do mm -hmm. something. Um, you know what, if you don't know, ask the question, that's the smartest thing you can do when you, when you get started. And we've got, we got four, four reasonably quick points we're going to run through to help Joe get started investing in shares. Yeah. Uh, Joe, the first thing, uh, I guess, Andrew, I'll, I'll, I'll let you cover this one because this is one you're particularly passionate about, is realistic expectations. Yeah, I think before you do anything, you've got to have a really good appreciation of what you're going to get into. Unfortunately, people approach the stock market because they've watched Wolf of Wall Street or, you know, <laughs> short. you know the big short. And it's, it's this super sexy, high-octane industry where we all drive Lamborghinis and, you know, it's... it's... Andrew, greed, for want of a better word, is good. <laughs> right. And That's my Gordon Gekko yeah, yeah, that was a great speech, wasn't it? Wasn't one, it? one of the best scenes ever. But 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 my point is, is that that people come in with with this idea that they're going to make a lot of money very quickly and easily, and usually it comes on the back of very good periods in the market where you know your your neighbour or your mate mm. or someone's mm. had a really you know they've they've tripled their money. You think, man, I want I want some of this action. Taxi driver with a hot tip. And the the danger of that is is that well, it's just not how the world works. I mean, the reality is of investing in the share market. It's it's a long term game. It's really a bumpy ride. You know, you can be the, one of the best investors in the world, you're still going to make a bunch of mistakes. Right. And I think those people who approach it without knowing that going in, as soon as there's the, the, the slightest wrinkle, the slightest bump in the road, there's that throw your hands in the air, ah, oh, it's all stupid and it's all risky. And then, and they do themselves a great disservice. So just go in being aware that this is not, the share market is not get rich quick. It's just That's enormously depressing. It, it, well, look, mate, if I could do it quickly, I wouldn't be here now is the simple fact <laughs> of the matter, right? And I'm just being a hundred percent honest. I'd be on a Caribbean island with my golden yacht and God knows what else. <laughs> Um, but it's not that, but Andrew what Goldfinger pay, <laughs> but what it does do is, you know, that the power of compounding and time, it really does build very, very meaningful wealth over the long term, And that's the way that you need to approach it. Yeah, it's the so, hair and the tortoise. So, right? so when you say, yeah, when you say realistic expectations, I want to make sure our listeners don't hear you saying, don't bother. It's all too hard. Don't try. What we're saying <laughs> is that the share market can, can and has built extraordinary amounts of wealth over long periods of time yeah. for those who are prepared to invest regularly, stay the course, focus on the businesses. Basically, let time do the work and don't expect to get rich quick. You know, I've done a lot of trade shows and, and expos and stuff over the years. And the funny thing Were you selling is... selling ShamWow? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I can see you selling ShamWow. I, I reckon I could probably sell a I few ShamWows. Um, uh, but the... the, the Knives? The, the Knife people blocks. who always... Like, this is oh. anecdotal, I know, but it was always... You know, some little old lady would come up and say, I bought BHP when I was, you know, whatever. And then she's just done so phenomenally well. And then you'd have all these other people come in and they've got these advanced leverage strategies they're buying and they haven't got two cents to show to their name. And right. it really just shows you that power of the, you know, the, the success, you don't have to be a genius in this. You just have, I mean, having the right temperament is more than half the challenge. And if you get that part right, you're off to an incredibly good start and you've got a huge advantage over most people. Spot on. Mate, the second thing we want to tell Joe is just do it, just get started. And I don't mean just get started as in buying anything to your point previously, yeah. Andrew, we're not saying just, you know, who, who cares, go and buy the, the latest hot Roll tip. the dice. Yeah. What we are saying is is, you know what, the old journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Most people say, look, I really should buy some shares. And the next year they say, I really should buy some shares. And the year after that they say, I really this time should buy some shares. Mm. Um, 
it, it's daunting, right? Mm, it what's is. a share? What's a company? What do I buy? What's this brokerage website? What the hell mm. do I do? Mm. I've got to fund it. I've got this 14 page application. Oh, it's all too hard. I'll do, I'll get around to it. Right. Yep. Yep. I get that. I completely get that. I've had the same, when I opened a new brokerage account myself, I'm like, oh God, I don't have to do this again. Do I? <laughs> right. So it's, it's tough, right? It's painful, but just get started. Whatever you have to do to get yourself over that hump. We'd really recommend, Joe, go and get yourself over the hump. Just go and set up your brokerage account, put some money in the account, buy your first shares, just yeah. get Dip started. Dip your toe in the water. Yeah, exactly. I, I, absolutely. I think the next one is is super important. And that is just like before you invest any money, sort of invest some time, right? Mm. Invest in yourself, as corny as that sounds, you know, that we, <laughs> all, we all love to dive into it. But, and I'm not talking about doing some dodgy course on FX trading or anything like that. that you know, <laughs> there is such wonderful wisdom from incredibly proven investors that are out there with decades of experience and they have published all of their insights and thoughts and it is there for you to read. Right. And, and before you do anything, you've really just got to start doing that. So I might actually get you to nominate um, some of your favorite uh, books or reading lists here, Scott, and uh, get people started. Yeah. Look, the, the, the first thing we'd say to start with is we, we talk about Warren Buffett about every second podcast and that's probably under calling it slightly. Uh, Uncle Warren. Uncle Warren. As we like to call we, him. We do indeed. <laughs> if we were our uncle, we wouldn't be here either. We'd be on that same <laughs> Caribbean right. island, but we're here. That's right. So he, he's, he's, he's our uncle in, uh, in, in yeah, admiration only, yep. um, Uncle Warren has has well, someone's compiled on his behalf all of his writings. He writes a letter to shareholders every single year, um, has done for the last 30, 40 plus years. Someone's compiled a list. It's called the Essays of Warren Buffett. And that's mm. literally just a compilation. If you, you can get the letters free, by the way, on his website, yeah. berkshirehathaway.com. Yeah, yeah. But if you buy the book, it's actually organized by theme. And it's a really, really smart, clever, easy way. Buffett is a genius. He's a billionaire. He's got 60 something billion dollars. Um, so super smart guy, but he, he communicates in such an easy to understand way. Yeah. I dare Common anybody to stuff, read that book right? and not come out of it feeling smarter, feeling better. And same, frankly, you know, feeling like it was a, it was a surprisingly good read, yep. interesting read, and they learn a whole heap. So The Essays of Warren Buffett, look it up on Amazon, a great book to read. Absolutely required reading. You know, one I'm going to nominate is One Up on Wall Street. It's from Peter Lynch, right. another incredibly successful investor Indeed. as well. A very easy read. Um, like Buffett, a very, very good communicator, very clearly articulates, you know, the, the way, the process of his investing. And I, I think it's a really, really great primer on, on, on this whole investing cape on. Yep. It's also a book that basically says you, you can do better than the professionals in his house. So yeah, yeah. For, for the individual investor who just wants to get started, some really great knowledge there. One of the, one of the key things he's talking about is buying what you know, um, looking around you, seeing what people are buying, what they're doing, what they're consuming, what they're playing, eating, reading, talking on the phone. Those things will help you find great investment ideas more often than not. And, you know, and just to round this off, the, the thing that the, these two books and um, there's others on our, our website too, we'd encourage mm -hmm. you to go check out, um, is that they really, they really stress the importance that shares actually are, are little bits of a business. Right. They're, they're not these ethereal, intangible things, you know, that it represents something real. Right. And, the, and, and they're really stressing, like, look at the business, understand the business, value the business and the rest falls into place. Forget about what the share did yesterday on the market or mm -hmm. whether the NASDAQ was up or any of this other kind of nonsense that you might, you know, might be more interested in if you're an investment banker, but for the, for the average investor, that is all irrelevant. If you can't understand a business and how it makes money and don't, yep. and have a view as to where that business is headed, you shouldn't be buying shares at any price. Right. The stock market is a collection of businesses. You can use the market to buy a small piece of that. You can have a little bit of Woolies or a little bit of BHP or a little bit of Cochlear or a little bit of something else. Yep. These are, this is a great way to own, to be a business owner. That's exactly what the market is. If you think about it as a casino, as a, as a stock ticker or something else, then you're getting it, you're getting it pretty frankly wrong. I hope that's helped you, Joe. Um, we'll, We'll do some more of this actually in, in future podcasts as well. We'll, we'll, we'll extend that uh, thinking a little bit. One but last we... quick one, Andrew, before I, before you do go into the, to finish this off, uh, for Joe, anyone else listening, Google a letter to a new investor, 
a letter to a new investor. Type that in Google. You'll find an article I wrote back in 2012. This stuff is quite literally timeless. So the, the four years that have passed in the meantime, don't change the advice, don't change the detail. Great way to get started. Help you think about investing. Find some books to read, some links to those books. A letter to a new investor. Google it now. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, good point. Thanks, mate. So uh, look, remember, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, at Triple M's Motley Fool Money. Um, just go to triplem.com.au forward slash podcast or just look at your favorite podcast app. And please, if you would, give us a nice rating if you like what we're doing. Uh, that's it for this week. Thanks again, Scott. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Until next week, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.